I have present for you. You have what? Present. For what? It's Thanksgiving. Well, belated birthday present. Okay. Also, present for present. It's not wrapped pretty. <laughs> it's in multiple bags. <laughs> With Earth <Earthsea. laughs> that. My god. They wanted to make sure it wouldn't break. Hey, I just took a DNA test. Turns out I'm 100% that witch. Heck yeah. Thank you. I didn't get you a present. Rude. Thanksgiving. Which typically is not a gift giving holiday. However, Rachel is Rachel. Rachel's Rachel. It's a mug, BT dubs, that says, I just took a DNA test. Turns out I'm 100% that witch. Here, let me take a picture. I was going to say, not a selfie camera. That was a great face. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> hey, I'm Rachel. And I'm Grace. Welcome to the podcast. Myths and Misfortunes. We are a true crime and paranormal podcast. And each week we pick somewhere in the world and base our stories on that place. Or sometimes not. Because <laughs> finding stuff is hard. You know, we say this every week. Get it, with it. Yeah, it's interesting. So today we are giving you all a special Thanksgiving episode. Yay! And our sources for the history are history.com, historyextra.com, Wikipedia, and businessinsider.com. Yeah. So, Thanksgiving. Um, Thanksgiving, the American holiday, Thanksgiving, is celebrated on the fourth Thursday of November. It was originally a harvest festival, but later turned into a religious thanking of God. Now we just eat food and complain about our families and gossip. And actually, in our research, there's a whole lot more to Thanksgiving than what we were originally taught in school. For example, we were taught that the first Thanksgiving occurred at Plymouth Rock between the Pilgrims and the friendly local Native Americans. Grace and I vary slightly on this. I remember my early elementary teacher telling me that the Native Americans were the Wampanoag tribe. Grace does not. I kind of attribute this to the fact that we went to different schools until the fifth grade. Uh, We can also attribute this to the fact that I don't remember shit. That too. 
I actually read in several articles that the original Thanksgiving between settlers and the Native Americans took place almost a century beforehand between Spanish settlers and the local Timucua tribe in St. Augustine, Florida. Hmm. So, back to what we were taught in school. After the three-day feast took place, the American colonists began asserting control over most aspects of the Wampanoag life. This included taking more and more land away from them, which caused the Wampanoag people to retaliate. And that's not even including all the diseases the settlers brought with them, which reduced the population by as much as 90%. The colonists called this Indian fever, when in fact they were the ones that brought it over. There's actually a protest group that's led by Frank Wamsutta James, if I said that incorrectly, I apologize, um, that accused the U.S. and European settlers of fabricating the Thanksgiving story and whitewashing the genocide and, and injustice against Native Americans. The protest group has led a National Day of Mourning protest on Thanksgiving at Plymouth Rock since 1970 in the name of social equality and in honor of political prisoners. While these protests are still happening, most Americans tend to focus on family gatherings, cooking and eating Thanksgiving meals, the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, and football. Me, personally, Thanksgiving is more of a time to spend with fin- friends and family. I could care less about uh, football and whatnot. Yeah. <laughs> Except this year you won't be with your family. I'll be with you. Yeah. While originally the pilgrims ate lobster, deer, seal, and swans... The common meat of choice nowadays are ham and turkey. We are no longer adventurous eaters. To be fair, I don't want to eat swan. Me either. Swan, seal, or deer. I've actually eaten deer meat. It's not that bad. It's pretty good. I have, and I didn't like it. It was. Oh, I liked it. It was too gamey. It depends on what part. Valid. Okay, valid point, yeah. But Moving on. Uh... (laughs) My favorite part of Thanksgiving is uh, after you've eaten and you get to take a nap. What's your uh, favorite Thanksgiving dish? Oh, hands down, my mom's hash brown casserole. She she actually learned it from her first husband's mother. Oh. Um, and it's been a staple for all of our family holiday meals uh, since she and him were together. Obviously now she's with my dad, but it's still the best. Everyone agrees. It like one of my cousins asks every time she's home, she asks for a personal hash brown ah, casserole. That's cool. I'm gonna have your mom make me one of those. That sounds it, good. I'll I'll make some for Thanksgiving okay. and bring it. Um, but you know, some good things comes out of bad relationships. Huh. What about you? What's your favorite? Used to be cranberry sauce. I would eat like an entire can just by myself. Like not like out of the can. Like I would slice it <laughs> slice up it and first. then eat it. But yeah. Um. Now, uh, it's my mom's bubble herb and cheese loaf. Yeah. Now again, bubble herb <laughs> and cheese loaf. Uh, it's like you know those frozen dough balls. You just like lay them out. Uh, side by side, like a couple inches apart, and then mm. once they rise, then you 
take them and you cover them with oil, with olive oil, and you cover them with cheese, um, like three different types of cheese, and then you get a bunch of herbs, and then you just put it all in like a, like a Dutch oven. What's it called? What's that thing called? Oh, yeah, that's a Dutch oven. Yeah, okay. And so you can put it in that or you can put it in a larger pan and then you just cook it like that and it becomes this giant, like, pull-apart cheese oh. loaf thing. It's so good. That sounds amazing. That's, okay, yeah. Yeah, that sounds amazing. That Now, uh, let's go into my story, which is murder. Well, since we were just talking about food, I really hope it involves food fighting. Um, no, no, rude. <laughs> uh, nope, not at all. So, my story is actually the Byron David Smith killings. I know absolutely nothing about this. Well, um, so my sources for this are Wikipedia, Murderpedia, and the DailyBeast.com. Daily Beast? Beast. 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 Okay. Beast. Is it because he's a beast? No. Uh, yeah. Okay. Oh. <laughs> so, November 22nd, 2012, Thanksgiving Day, Haley Kiefer, 18, and her cousin Nicholas Brady, 17, not seeing a car in the driveway or any lights on to signify anyone was there, broke into the house of Byron David Smith. Unfortunately for them, somebody was home, the homeowner himself. He was laying in wait for the two in the basement. But, okay, but how did he know that they were going to break in? That he could just lie in wait? How? Alright, so Byron David Smith at the time, 64, now 71. Mm -hmm. Retired from the state state department, state police department, Jesus, no. (laughs) He retired from the State Department, where he spent 20 years overseas and was trained in surveillance. Yeah. Over the past few months leading up to the event, Smith said his home had been burglarized half burglarized half a dozen times. Among the items stolen, there were thousands of dollars in cash, the watch his father received after spending nearly a year as a prisoner of war in World War II, Medals and ribbons Smith had earned in the Air Force during the Vietnam War, several firearms, and jewelry. Wow. Yeah. By his own account to police, Smith had been visiting neighbors when he saw Kiefer, who he had suspected was responsible for the burglaries, driving towards his home. Video surveillance confirmed that Kiefer and Brady had cased the house that day. Okay. So... Smith then commented that he needed to get ready for her and went back to his house, leaving his car at his neighbor's in order to put his plan in action. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, upon entering his home, Smith turned on a recording device, removed the light bulbs from the ceiling lights, laid out a tarp at the bottom of the basement stairs, and positioned himself in a chair that was obscured from view, making sure he had water, snacks, and a novel to occupy his time until the two arrived. Um, yeah, I told you this one was riff. Um, <laughs> he laid a tarp at the bottom of the stairs. Mm-hmm. We'll get there. Okay. Okay, so once he heard the window upstairs break and Brady climb in, which was captured on audio, Smith then waited in silence for 12 minutes, during which he had time to call the police, but didn't. 
until Brady began to descend into the basement. Smith then shot Brady twice on the stairs and once in the head after he fell to the bottom of the stairs, saying, you're dead. Oh my god. Smith then wrapped the body in the tarp and dragged him into his workshop in another room to prevent him from bleeding on the carpet. Yeah. (sighs) He went upstairs and 10 to 15 minutes later, he ran back down to the basement, reloaded his weapon, and took up his previous position in the obscured chair. Minutes later, Kiefer entered the home and could be heard calling her cousin's name. As she made her way down the stairs, Smith shot twice. Wounded, she fell down the stairs. You can hear an audible click on the recording. Yeah. That's uh, his gun jamming. Oh. Oh, sorry about that, Smith said. Kiefer can be heard on the recording screaming, I'm sorry, and oh god. Smith shot her again multiple times in the torso and once next to her left eye while saying, you're dying, and then calling her a bitch. Oh my god, so serious anger management issues. It's, yeah, it's rough, dude. That's why I was saying, I, like, found it originally, I was like, okay, I'll do this one, and then I started reading more and more about it, and I was like, oh, and I was like, oh, and I was like, oh no. He then dragged her into the other room, tossing her body on top of her cousins, shooting her one final time under the chin, killing her. Uh. Which is when he called her a bitch again. Jesus Christ. Yeah. All of this is on audio recording. Like, So, audio and video of the events were recorded by Smith's security system, and they captured a total of nine shots fired using two different guns. The deaths were not immediately reported to police. Smith left their bodies in his basement workroom for over 24 hours before eventually calling one of his neighbors, asking for help finding a lawyer. So the neighbor called police. I mean, um, what lawyer (laughs) is going to be like, oh yeah, you're not going to jail. His lawyer, actually. But we'll get into it. Oh my god. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, Smith's statements to the police described delivering killing shots to the heads of both victims after he'd shot them on the stairs and they had fallen, wounded, to the basement floor. In his statement, Smith said that Kiefer let out a short laugh after she fell down the stairs saying, if you're trying to shoot somebody and they laugh at you, you go again. Wouldn't that have been picked up by the audio recorder? The audio tape didn't record her laughing at all. She was like saying like, oh God, and crying. In police interviews, Smith admitted to firing more shots than he needed to and that he fired a good clean finishing shot into Kiefer's head. Legal analysts have stated that the initial shootings most likely would have been justified under Minnesota's law, which uh, allows a person to take a life to avert death or great bodily harm or to prevent a felony in his or her home, and juries are instructed to consider the circumstances and whether it was a decision a reasonable person would have made in light of the danger perceived. No, because (sighs) these kids were not armed... He technically didn't know that. I go into it. I really, I know, I know, I know. This makes me angry. Like, I understand shooting an intruder, but unless you know for a fact that they're armed, Look, you, you so, do a shot to get them down first. Or you 
say, I've got a gun. Or you spend that time after they've broken in to call the police. That too. Or you say, hey, this person just drove by my house. I think they're coming to come rob me. Yeah. I, mm. A number of aspects in the case were noted by police as being inconsistent with self-defense. Smith had moved his truck earlier in the day, which he claimed he had done so he could clean his garage. Prosecutors argued at his trial that it was an attempt to make the house look abandoned in order to lure the burglar student to his home. Yeah, that's how it sounds. Yes. In addition to his home surveillance system, Smith also recorded at least six hours of audio on a digital recorder in the basement of the residence. Prior to the break-in, he's heard saying, In your left eye, and I realize I don't have an appointment, but I would like to see one of the lawyers here. The prosecution noted that Kiefer was later shot in the left eye by Smith and alleged that the other statement is a rehearsal of what he would say after the shooting, an indication that he knew he would soon need an attorney. Mm-hmm. This is all premeditated. Obviously. So, following the shooting, Smith made a number of statements on the audio recording saying, including, I'm not a bleeding heart liberal, I felt like I was cleaning up a mess, not like spilled food, not like vomit, not even like, not even like diarrhea, the worst mess possible, and I was stuck with it in some tiny little respect. I was doing my civic duty. If the law enforcement system couldn't handle it, I had to do it. I had to do it. The law system couldn't handle her, and I... And it fell into my lap, and she dropped her problem in my lap, and she threw her own problem in my face, and I had to clean it up. Smith was also heard on the recording saying, It's all fun, cool, exciting, and highly profitable until someone kills you. Smith's recorded statements, the evidence indicating he had planned the shootings, along with the excessive number of shots fired, led to Smith being charged with second-degree murder. However... In April 2013, he was indicted on two counts of first-degree murder. Bail was later set at 50000 which Smith posted. <sighs> I know, nothing is satisfying about this. During the trial, Smith's lawyer argued that Smith was increasingly scared as burglaries, burglaries increased at his home. He was frozen in fear once he saw shadows outside and heard someone break glass in his bedroom window. He added that Smith grew more and more afraid to live in his own home since some of his guns had been stolen, I guess. So, so much so that he'd begun carrying a gun with him inside his own home. Sure. Yeah. In a recorded interview with the police, Smith described how he assumed the intruders were thieves who had been targeting him. He said it was shoot or be shot. Did uh, they how? guns on the people? Exactly. No. And he was reading and heard... He was just reading and heard a window break, and he just reacted. And when he heard more footsteps, he thought they were ganging up on him. Prosecutor Pete Orput questioned why Smith didn't call police, why he didn't shout a warning before shooting. Also, he left them. He was with them for 24 hours. Before calling. Yeah. yeah. And he said he didn't want to bother police on Thanksgiving. So. Okay. Hmm. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> Just kill two people and then be considerate of the police. Sure. The family members were able to give victim impact statements before the judge imposed the verdict in the court case. Kiefer's aunt said that the two cousins loved family gatherings and now there are two empty seats at every one of them. 
Brady's grandmother told a judge Smith was robbed of things. Nick and Haley were robbed of their lives. Mm-hmm. On April 29th, 2014, Byron David Smith was found guilty on two counts of first-degree murder with premeditation and on two counts of second-degree murder after only three hours of jury deliberations. He was immediately sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. The audio recordings were named by the jurors as the biggest influence on their decision. That was the most damning piece of evidence in my mind, Wes Hatlestad. That's a fun name. <laughs> Hatlestad, one of the 12 jurors, said following the trial, that audio recording of the actual killings and the audio recording of Mr. Smith's interview immediately after his arrest pretty much convinced me that we were dealing with a deranged individual. 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 Two jurors who spoke about the verdict said that they could clearly see he methodically planned for a violent confrontation rather than a homeowner surprised by intruders. Mm-hmm. Another juror, Thomas Strandberg, said it appeared to be that it was his kill zone where he wanted them to come in and enter so he could have ample opportunity to kill them. About Smith waiting over 24 hours to contact police, Strandberg said, We agreed that might have been part of the plan to see if there were more people coming, possibly, or to possibly clean something up or get rid of something. When asked to speak before his sentencing, Smith said, Thank you for the opportunity, Your Honor. I decline. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I think it said he was uh, trying to appeal as well. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Orpet asked for the um, prosecutor. He asked for the judge to impose consecutive life sentences as a symbolic gesture, but the judge declined. So, defense attorney Steve Meshbesher said that Smith was very distraught and emotionally upset at the outcome of the trial. Meshbesher also told reporters after the trial that he wasn't allowed to show jurors all the evidence he felt was necessary. He wanted to tell jurors about Kiefer and Brady's previous run-ins with the law, including Brady's connection to prior burglaries. Judge Anderson ruled that Smith didn't know who he was shooting that day, so their histories or reputations weren't relevant. Mm-hmm. Not in the least. Yeah. Like, if he had known them, like, if he had gone somewhere to find them and then tried to kill them, maybe, but not in this situation. No. Some of his friends and neighbors were upset and shocked by the verdict, saying that he was a good person and was afraid for his life. But in the audio recordings, he proved that he was the exact opposite. Oh, yeah. Morrison County Sheriff Michael Wetzel implied that some people watching the case had turned it into something it wasn't. This isn't a case about whether you have the right to protect yourself in your home. You clearly do. That's a given, Wetzel said. Rather, this was a case about where the limits are before and after a threat to you or your home occurs. In this case, a jury decided there are limits and they've decided where they are. (sighs) There's... I almost don't want to add this. What? There's a Facebook page. Oh, geez. That I found when I was looking this up called Byron David Smith, Little Falls, Minnesota is a hero. I'm pretty sure this guy runs it. Like, the way that the comments are written suggests that he's not because it says he, like, instead of I. Yeah. The description is like... Byron David Smith is an absolute hero for standing his ground and eliminating a threat to his home and property. I think the people who get caught breaking into other people's homes deserve to be murdered without hesitation and without mercy Why? by any means possible. 
Home invasion is a growing threat and places you and your family at risk. Standing your ground is a good thing. There's even contact for info for him, like the prison address and everything like that. It just makes me this upset. Yeah, this like, here's angry. the thing. I completely understand, like, feeling absolutely terrified in your own home. Feeling like, like, somebody might be there to hurt you. Mm-hmm. But he didn't announce himself. He didn't say that he'd call. He didn't even try to call the cops. Mm-hmm. Not until after 24 hours. Yeah. And I just, I think they did the right thing in this situation. Like, I, I would agree with you, yeah. Yeah. But that was my story. Not very happy Thanksgiving, but, um. That, oh, jeez. That's, I mean, that's a very controversial issue. Some people would 100% agree he did the the right thing, blah, 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 blah. Okay, but, like, even, so that first initial shot for each one of them, maybe. Yes. If he hadn't planned all of that beforehand. Yes. Beforehand. I agree. If he hadn't planned all of that beforehand, then, you know. I agree, yeah. I would have understood that first initial shot. But continuing to shoot them repeatedly and then, like, well, mocking them? Continuing to shoot them, mocking them, setting up the frickin' tarp. Yes. So he wouldn't bleed on the carpet. Exactly. He set it up before Sitting at the bottom of the stairs. Just out of sight. Just, so once they open the door, they won't- They wouldn't see him. Yeah. Exactly. This was premeditated. Exactly. It- Happy Thanksgiving! Do not repeat, guys. <laughs> okay, well, now that we had that fun thing. Is yours happier? <laughs> Honestly, I don't know. Oh. So, for this episode, I had to do a lot of digging. Like, there are n- not a lot of paranormal-related Thanksgiving stories at all. I tried searching for alien abduction stories, and I couldn't find anything. I did find that there's a movie from 1998, kind of documentary style, Mm -hmm. about an alien abduction that occurred on Thanksgiving. (laughs) But it was so short. I might actually have to do, like, an article for the mailing list or something. Okay. But, yeah. I tried looking for alien abductions. I tried looking for ghost stories. It... There's nothing, but I did stumble upon something called Gobble Squatch. Gobble Squatch. Gobble Squatch. Is this a fucked up creepy pasta? No. <laughs> no, it's not. Okay. Gobble Squatch is supposedly a giant turkey. Uh. Um, there, there's not a whole lot description wise, but I think we can all picture just a giant ass turkey walking around <laughs> gobble gobble doing the head thing oh, god I, you know i think this is perfect because after my story we need something that's a little silly <laughs> so i stumbled upon this by just doing a google search thanksgiving cryptids okay that yeah yeah and the very first website introduced me to gobble squat gobble squatch that's great <laughs> So my sources, visit cryptoville.com, 
urbanlegendsonline.com, Wikipedia, a podcast counting cryptids, hmm. and a song literally titled The Gobble Squatch Song okay. by <laughs> Paul Hernandez. All right. His username on Audio Boom is Paul Voices. I am not going to... I'm going to play this for you later. Okay. But I'm not going to play the song for all of you, but I need you to hear it. It is It is so fantastic. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> I was smiling, giggling the entire time. I mean, it sounds like a song right out of, like, a Western movie. Oh, dear. <laughs> you know, when they're riding their horses out into the sunset. So, the first two websites, which are... Very similar in every way, by the way. Cite a paper written by a retired Professor Wesley Wimscott. That sounds like a fake name. (laughs) I tried to find the paper. I couldn't find it. Couldn't find it anywhere. Google Scholar turned up nothing. So, if anyone is listening and can find this paper, if it's real... Please, 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 Wesley Westcott? Professor Wesley Wimscott. Wimscott. Please, 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 please email the link if you can find the paper. So, Professor Wesley Wimscott wrote the paper and titled it Gobble Squatch, Giant Drumsticks or Dumbsticks? Dumbsticks? (laughs) Dumbsticks. It was... Dumb thick. No, ignore uh, me, ignore me. <laughs> I was gonna say, well, it's a turkey, so it is dumb thick. <sighs> anyway, it was supposedly submitted to the International Symposium on Paranormal History, Sighting Stories, and Wonders. His paper was supposed to focus on the history from Native American tribes and what is now known as Virginia. In the foreword of his paper, Professor Wimscott writes that it's the logical place to commence since one of the nations endemics to the region was called the Catawba, which means feathers as long as a tree in that language. Okay. I also did not pronounce that right. <laughs> it's Catawba. Okay. <laughs> Catawba. I could not find proof that that was what Catawba means, but I did discover that the Catawba people were not from Virginia. Oh. They're from North and South Carolina, where the Catawba River passes through. They even extended down into Tennessee and Oklahoma. Oh, okay. But they're not in Virginia. So... Okay. (laughs) Which is where his research paper takes place. I'm just gonna say this guy does not (laughs) exist. Well, he might not necessarily know his geography very well. (laughs) (laughs) Just call him out. (laughs) The professor did have a few other reasons that could possibly point to the existence of the Gobble Squatch. During pre-colonial times, the Cherokee people would supposedly wear ceremonial costumes which imitated the waddles that turkeys have. This was... (laughs) I'm sorry. This was done using gourds that were dyed brown 
tied together with long strings of deer sinew and worn around the neck. Yes, that, yes. Another tribe he mentions are the Powhatans, and he brings up the legends of the Cayuque, otherwise known as the giant dropping of death. (laughs) Cheerful. Very. Um, This, according to the paper, is an ancient tribal story about the tribe's first chief, who had set out for the mountains to fast for 15 days and nights in order to hear the gods' suggestions for ending a drought. However, on his way back to the tribe, as he was excitedly passing under the branches of a huge-ass tree, he was killed by a falling liquid bomb. What? The only thing that I can possibly attribute this to is maybe... Thinking about Gobble Squatch. What? If this was maybe a giant egg falling out of a random nest in the tree. And it killed him. Yeah. Like I said, I couldn't find anything. On this paper, I tried Googling even this. And he also thinks that the custom of celebrating Thanksgiving with a turkey is due to the tradition of hunting all the turkeys that they could find in a day. And this was done in order to serve as a defense against the development of any more gobble squatches. From our research, this is not a thing. I am just so... (laughs) I'm just mind-boggling. Is this how you felt when I was reading Bat Squatch? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so, like I said, please, someone find me this paper. I'm trying. I'm tr- <laughs> I'm. I'll, I'm gonna try after this. There, there is no more research done by the professor. He went in search of the Gobble Squatch in 2010 in the Blue Ridge Mountains and went missing. Oh, this is going to be so fun. His last diary entry supposedly read, Found a nest. Measured 14 by 12 and a half feet. Will infiltrate. As an egg. <laughs> Why? Okay. Supposedly, any, the, any research from Professor Wimscott is impossible to access today. His paper was allegedly classified as ultra-secret by the symposium that it was submitted to in 2009. Well, hmm. On to the possible sightings of the Gobble Squatch. Oh, God, can't wait. In 1672, a young settler named Ezekiel Fitzgerald was hanged. This is not going the direction I thought it would. (laughs) He was hanged for his hearsay because he saw a creature of wingspan greater than the throne of the Almighty. (laughs) The throne? Supposedly, in 1750, Thomas Jefferson was sent home for school because he kept using the word gobbledygook. Uh. This was later pointed out to be a local Virginia. Ginian word referring to people who doubted the existence of a giant turkey in the Blue Ridge Mountains. Oh my god. Also, no. (laughs) (laughs) 
Like, he did use that word, but that's not what it means. In 1861, a group of lumber workers abandoned plans to clear-cut Mount Mitchell. The foreman of the Virginia Labor Company reported that his men had heard a frightening falsetto rumbling and constant thunder as of a giant beating wings. He also cited that there were what he called unclearable mounds of what I can only assume is turkey poop under what he deemed (laughs) were the most desirable trees. This one. Mm. Wilbur and Orville Wright were researching the airplane by studying birds in flight in 1901. They spent three months in the mountains of Virginia. Apparently, while it is ignored by most historians, Mm -hmm. their first flying prototype was developed in 1903. Its name was the Warbler. Uh. This aircraft featured a huge wingspan that flapped and gourds were draped all over the main body of the aircraft. (laughs) The plans for this craft were soon abandoned, as you can imagine. Oh, man. So, the next fact, which I find really super hard to believe. Honestly, all of this I do because... Wow. Wow. (laughs) Apparently, a European history named Dillard Dinsmore published a theory stating that a nomadic Cherokee man named Mustafa Pashi founded and named the Turkish nation. Uh, What? (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So, um, there is one other thing. In May of 1967, a hippie from a hippie commune in Virginia said that the whole commune was swearing off marijuana use. His exact words. We toke up on green tea now. Uh! That stuff was making us see huge turkeys that pecked holes in our VW camper and swallowed our sleeping bags whole. Oh my god. Like I told you in episode four, when you were talking about Bat Squatch, some cryptids I I can get behind. Others I cannot. (laughs) This is one of them. I feel like Bat Squatch is valid. (laughs) Okay, but... (laughs) Gobble Squatch. What if if Gobble Squatch is just a Thunderbird, but it's super fat? In Virginia? It traveled there? (laughs) It migrated to Virginia. <laughs> it migrated, got too fat, couldn't fly away. You know what? We'll keep that in the back of our minds. Uh-huh. Okay. So, I found a Twitter account for Gobble Squatch. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Where there are posts from November 10th, 2011, until November 21st, 2011. All of the posts cite a website gobblesquatch.com which by the way has since been bought by counting cryptids oh really that that yeah the podcast that's so funny that was like super smart that was really smart good job whoever created that yeah super smart we should create a cryptid and then sell make a website and then sell it good idea that's a good idea yeah good idea okay but actually i we do need to listen and counting cryptids okay because their banter is just so great. Okay. It's 
it's fantastic. And I haven't found too many podcasts by guys where I truly enjoy their podcast because it almost inevitably turns into bro talk. (laughs) (laughs) And they did not. Anyway, I found that song. I found the podcast where he says, literally, Jacob and Connor say everything that I'm saying right now. Okay. (laughs) There's no proof. I can't find anything that verifies with these two main websites I found about Gobble Squatch. It, I think this may have been someone's attempt to create a cryptid. But it is kind of cute. I do have to admit that. Kind of like the great pumpkin Charlie Brown. Except it's a terrifying turkey. Except it's a terrifying 14 foot tall turkey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, that is Gobble Squatch. Wow beautiful that was yeah so i'm truly inspired (laughs) i'm gonna try to find the dumbest shit i could think of for the next episode oh god (laughs) no the next episode you're doing it never mind yeah exactly well the one after that okay so you can follow us on instagram and facebook at myths and misfortunes or Twitter at Myths Misfortunes. Or you can just search for us using our full name, Myths and Misfortunes. We, we do pop up. You can also send us an email to misfortunes at gmail.com. Our music was composed by McKean Fulbright, and our art was created by Heather Murray Atkins. Their websites can be found in the description below. Please rate, review, subscribe, or even listen at this point. I mean... Please listen to us. Listen. (laughs) All right. Thanks so much, guys. Bye. Uh, Bye.